everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall and I'm so excited that tonight's guest is Phyllis Spiegel, Emory Henry class of 1988. How you doing Phyllis? I'm doing great. It's wonderful to be on the Duck Pond Wall with everyone. I know and I think here's the thing. See I called you Phyllis. What I need to know is what do we call you now? Because Phyllis Reverend Spiegel has just been named the Bishop of the state of Utah in the Episcopal Church. Can I call you your highness? Is that okay? Please don't. But <laughs> <laughs> how about your excellency? What 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 can we call you now? At my my official title at this particular moment in time is um, Bishop Elect, which it caused huge confusion amongst my my nephews going, "Well, wait a minute. Did she get elected or did she not get elected?" And so the family chat was a hoot during the process of the election. But what bishop-elect means is that you're not, you. I have been elected as the bishop, but there are many legal things that have to happen between now and being called the bishop. So my election will be certified by all of the bishops and all of the standing committees in the Episcopal Church. So first they, they require me to have a psychological examination and a physical. And so after the overly excited nature of myself on on Saturday, my sister-in-law, Robbie, also an Emory Henry graduate, said, right. we might want to hold off on that psychological evaluation for two days until you calm down. <laughs> so there are things that legally have to happen to protect the church. And then um, once it is the consent has happened that my election was duly ordered, then the consecration has already been set, which is when the bishop is ordained as a bishop, and that consecration has been set for September 17th. So on that day, which is a big, hmm, you might call it a hootenanny. So people come from all over the church and people from all parts of my life will be there. And so it's, oh it's really gosh. any Emory and Henry grad, anybody's welcome to be there. So. Well, okay. All right. Let's like, let's unpack that just a little bit. So I hadn't really considered that there were like legal things that had to happen and that you had to have a physical and stuff. That's so interesting. It's like, the, it's like buying a horse. They're going to check your teeth and make sure that you're okay to be Bishop. I've never, I've never thought yes, about that. Yes, they are. Cause you can imagine you know, shenanigans can occur if you get somebody who isn't fit for office. So they really want to make sure that, that you are fit to serve the church in all ways. And also, it's not good for a person to have a stressful job and a high impact job if their body isn't up to it. That is yeah. a crazy thing I have never considered. It seems like they would make you jump through that hoop before you even threw your name in the ring. And let's talk about how you got your name in the ring. So do you like say, I, will, I would like to be bishop or does somebody else say, hey, that Spiegel woman's kind of cool. Let's see if she'll be bishop. How does that work? So both, it depends on the diocese. Every diocese gets to determine their own process. So the way this worked is that you did submit your name, but what happened for me is I love the parish I'm serving right now. I'm in, in um, just outside of Cincinnati in a place called Westchester, Ohio. And I adore my parish, was not looking to leave, but a canon for the diocese that I'm serving in now called me and said, I just got this across my screen. This is you and you simply must put your name in. And I thought, oh, I'm going to read it and I'm going to say, ha, ha, ha. And within seconds, I was just tingling all over. 
and I, the Holy Spirit was saying, these are your people. And that has not changed from the very second I had that feeling, every encounter. And we've been at this since August. So it culminated on Saturday, but it has been behind the scenes, behind the scenes, behind the scenes. And then in um, the end of January, the, the final slate was announced. And I also felt like there was a good chance that I was in this process to bring what I consider to be important elements of the life of the Episcopal Church right now to the forefront. And so the work that I'm doing is all about um, becoming beloved community, which is the the work of racial healing. It's the work of of, um, all people having a just voice in our society and really, truly making amends for things that we have done in this country and in the past and for the church to be a leader in that healing process. And this is the work that Utah wants to do and that they've been doing. And to get to join in that, that's just incredible. So I thought maybe I was just to be a part of that conversation. And on Saturday, I heard, nope, this is, come on, come on. We're going to do it all together. So Well, it, I read a little bit about your predecessor. It sounds like that that bishop was also about this kind of work. Bishop Hayashi is very well respected in Utah for his work on social justice, really going to the state house praying with leaders, really moving issues of um, the marginalized in society forward on a legislative level. The other interesting thing that he did is, of course, everyone knows that the Church of Latter-day Saints in, in Utah is, let's just say, so one of, the, one of the little points in the in the profile that had me really laughing was it said that Episcopalians make up one-tenth of one percent of the population in Utah. <laughs> so I feel, I, I was like, you know, that's about the same odds that the first disciples had. We can work with that. All right, let's do this. But Bishop Hayashi used the common ground of social justice issues to build relationship with the LDS church. And I have done a lot of interfaith work. I'm blessed to be just up the street from the um, Islamic Center of, of Greater Cincinnati, and so have done interfaith work with, with the Islamic Center and also with the Jewish community in Cincinnati, and just really feel like that's all been preparatory work for now moving into this, this area, which will teach me a great deal, but also I have a, a just such a deep belief that we do much better when we talk about what we care about, what we believe in, instead of going around pointing out our differences. So that's that's the work I'm called to also, is let's stand together on the ground that we, we feel is firm on the work that we should be doing to bring about a better world and a more just world. That was a beautiful thing you just said. That was a beautiful thing. If I, if I didn't know better, I'd swear you're the new Bishop of Utah. So so to tell me, so talk, that, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about the fact that, um, that you were already doing so much interfaith kind of work and that that would be a big thing for, for Utah. That's really cracking me up. It's one-tenth of one percent that's Episcopalian. And so that is, those are kind of daunting odds. I mean, when you think Utah, you don't really think Episcopal. You think, um, you, you think Mormon. Yeah. And so, so, you know, if that's, if that's the case, I mean, that's, that's got to feel like a, that's got to feel like a big job. Well, Monica, I would have to say, you don't think about Episcopals yet, right? Oh. That might be. 
awesome. We're going to have this conversation again in a couple of years, and we're going to say, yes, please. The first thing I think about when I think of Utah is the Episcopalian the Episcopal Church. <laughs> Standing there right next to our, our LDS uh, friends and, 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 and getting legislation signed that, uh, that other states emulate. That's there we go. fantastic. Let's well, the bar even higher. Let's talk about how you, the church in Utah, um, how, how is it that the Episcopal Church in Utah has sort of taken this on, this, these social justice issues? How has this become sort of a focus for them? And, and maybe it is for the entire church nationwide. I don't know. But it's interesting that Utah in particular, it sounds like, has kind of said, this is something we want to really hang our hat on. This is a rock we want to stand on. What can we do to make things better? How has that come about out there? Well, I, I would say that, yes, it is um, the focus of the Episcopal Church under our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, who really has brought these issues. People would know Michael Curry. He was the uh, preacher at the, the great wedding in England. And, and, and may, yeah, so that's our presiding bishop. Oh, and, nifty. So, yeah, Michael Curry is, is our presiding bishop, really set the vision for the Episcopal Church to first to follow in the way of love of Jesus, that Jesus's whole ministry was about love and that when we do that, there's no qualification on that. And so the church has often been in its history, a place that got that very wrong, telling people they weren't good enough as they were, they're not, um, that there's rules and regulations of, of whether you're fully a part of this body of Christ. And Bishop Curry is there to say that stops now. And so the way to do that is for us to deepen our own relationship with the, the truth of Jesus in, in the words that Jesus spoke and taught. So we've been doing that work as a national church. And then that led into deeper work on becoming beloved community, which is a, is beloved community is a phrase that came before actually the civil rights um, era, but was certainly uh, made very famous during that time and, and became language that we, we are used to. But the people of Utah, I think your question is really spot on because the people of Utah have embraced this in a different way. And so if you think about one, they, they are in a place where they're, expression of faith is different than the majority faith expressed in that state. And I think that helped them. So when you define what you don't believe in, sometimes you have you more deeply define what you do believe in. And so I think that a lot of Episcopalians are like, we need to be really clear about who we are and what we are and why we are. And so this work began to like immediately had resonance with the people of Utah. And, or the Diocese of Utah, I should say, because there's also one parish in um, Northern Arizona. So there's Utah and one, one, one parish in Arizona. So, so the Diocese of Utah, I'm going to get my language right. So, but the other piece is that the native, you know, the first peoples of Utah, right? So the native peoples, those voices are, are voices that we need to bring to the center. And Utah has the chance to say, when we're having these conversations as a nation, we're going to introduce some of these conversations. We're going to host them. We're going to, to, to listen in ways that we haven't particularly in our past 
but also to model what this looks like for, for the nation. And they're uniquely suited to do that. And that's work also that I'm very excited about. There's also a Sudanese congregation in the Diocese of Utah. And really? when COVID, when co- and which, um, so when I uh, graduated from Emory and Henry shortly after that, I went to, uh, to Kenya and taught there and it married an Emory and Henry grad. We were married in Kenya. And, you know, and so there's that, this, this a lot of pieces of my past kind of coming together, but the, the Sudanese congregation found a huge ministry during COVID because they begin Zooming services and Sudanese from all over the world were joining in. And so there's, and then there's Hispanic congregations, you know, the two, two, two congregations on the Ute Indian Reservation. It is a diverse place. What so. a multicultural opportunity. I mean, that's got to be super exciting and a little daunting. You have a whole lot of languages oh, to figure know. out and a whole lot of cultures to figure out. Yes, yes, yes. Part, part of that um, came from my Emory and Henry studies. So I, I did. What did you major in Emory? I had it um, back in the day when we were allowed to do an indisciplinary major. Uh-huh. I did um, business management, French and international studies. Huh. And so, yep. And so, boy, do you need to know how to run a business when you're and at, at a diocesan level? It's really helpful to be able to read spreadsheets and know the accounting and the work of learning cultures and learning different systems and being inquisitive, liberal arts education, right? Learning, leaning into what we do not know with a curiosity. I want to remind everybody really quickly that we are speaking with Phyllis Spiegel, Emory and Henry class of 1988, who has just been named Bishop-elect for the Diocese of Utah because it's the state of Utah plus one little bitty place in Arizona. I want to lean, lean in a little more to what you were saying there, but I want to back up for a second to say that you were talking about that the church is really focused on making everyone feel welcome, making everyone feel like they are a part of that, that family of, of Christ. Clearly, that also translates into leadership within the church, which from time to time has been complicated in some churches. And so talk to me a little bit, talk to us a little bit about where the Episcopal Church is about granting leadership to all people, women, et cetera, because that is kind of a complicated thing right now for, for instance, for the Methodist Church. Right, right. And, and certainly with the issue of gay clergy, it's very, it, it's, it's, complicated for a number of denominations and faiths. So the Episcopal Church has been working on these issues for a very, very long time. And the issue of, you know, women were were ordained in the the late 70s. We um, are the, when I was in seminary in 2000, and I was there 2001 to 2004, and uh, Bishop Gene Robinson was the the first openly gay bishop to to be consecrated, and it did create a a, a quite a stir and a challenge for people in the church. But in retrospect, and even perhaps at the time, I knew this was a challenge that we needed to have. So where the Episcopal Church came out is, if we baptize you, which is the first order of ministry then all other orders of ministry must be open to you because there is no place where you are not fully 
whole in the body of Christ, loved as you are and a child of God. There's nothing that happens. You don't, you don't, it's full stop. You don't grow out of that because your position gets higher because then that makes it not true for everyone. So there's no way to say, if you come through the waters of baptism, your first order of ministry, you're actually expected to really live into that order of ministry. And so you are to bring who you are into the service of God exactly as you are. And, you know, we've, we've, we've worked then. What does it mean with, with trans clergy? What does it mean? And, and we go, okay, well, we know how to do this now. We've had these conversations and we, we try to be grace filled with them, but also honest that not everybody is where everybody else is. And so the, I, I say in, in the church, when we're working on these issues, when, when I'm the leader and I've been faced with these issues is we will do our best to keep everyone in the boat, but we're not dropping anchor. We still have to move forward. We're not moving full ahead at full speed. We're not in a speedboat, but we are letting the wind of the Holy Spirit carry us forward and we're not dropping anchor. So come along with us. We'll talk to you. We'll listen to your concerns. We'll, we'll have real dialogue about this, but I remember the first time I had a conversation with someone and their premise was, oh, you just, you know, people who think gays should be um, accepted in the church are people who, or that it's okay to be gay, that they don't have biblical passages to support them. It's just, oh, love everybody. And I was like, no, let's walk through them. I've got them. We'll walk through every one of them. And that's when you're grateful for your training and learning how to read scripture and learning how to read context, because we don't have to, to jettison the word of God in order to come to this. In fact, actually, you can do the opposite. You can look at Jesus's life and go, there wasn't a single person Jesus met that said, you, yeah, you are a beloved child of God. Go forth, do the ministry. So I also know that I, I am I am blessed and called by God to do ministry. And my daughter calls me by lovable. That's, that's my, so I've been married twice, once to a man, once to a woman. And my second marriage um, happened within the context of my first parish. And it, it, it split the church and we lost 50% of our membership. So I've, I've worked through this. I've worked through this. And I've, I've cried the tears of having children leave the church because their parents didn't think I was fit to serve. I, I know these pains. And I also know that the way we made it through was to stay close to the gospel, to do the work God gives us to do, and to keep moving forward. What, what do you what do you find has happened in some, with some of those folks before who were not accepting and not supportive and not willing to let everybody in that boat? Um, have they grown? Are they still sort of dug in? Time does help a lot, doesn't it? It does. There, some have and some haven't. But what was interesting, by the time I left, we were back up to the place that we had been when I got there. And it made room for others to come in who didn't think there was a place for them in the church. Nice. And I, I did a pride event last year. And People were looking at our booth and going, but why is the church here? We're not even a welcome. And I was like, let me, let me introduce myself to you. 
And let's say, yeah, you are. And then to realize, oh, what? and I said, you know, we're actually so far beyond that your being gay and being at the church is not the question. The question is, so what do you want to do? What do you feel you're called to do? What do you need to learn? What can we offer you? But come in as a full part because we're not talking about your sexuality. We're talking about your discipleship. Nice. I love that. This is, it's just so nice to hear you talk about this because, you know, it seems like when it's so many times when this has been the topic, oh, it just goes, the conversation is just not about love. It's just about, you know, something else. I don't know what you, I don't even have a good word for it, but to hear you talk about it, it just makes sense that if you're, if this is about the church then you need to be talking about loving people. And doing the work, you know, I think sometimes these issues allow, we get knocked sideways off the work that God gives us to do. And, you know, the marginalized are still marginalized. The, the, the folks who don't have good health care still don't have good health care. The wage gap is, you know, yeah. It, okay, so the, the, the wage at, at McDonald's has increased, but the cost of rent has way outpaced that. So there, it, there's still so much justice work to do for, and, and by that, I mean, a just society where people truly do have equal opportunity to, to healthcare, to decent housing, to, to not being afraid that when a family member gets sick, that they're going to lose their job. Basic, basic things. Right, right. So. Well, that's and our work. Saying, and we get, we get, when we get knocked sideways and, and then it's, it's either an excuse for us to not do the work or it's, it, it just sends us in the wrong direction. We've got to stay focused on what our, our purpose is in this world. And it's to make a better world. Okay. I'm putting that on a shirt too. All right. So tell, as we're getting close to the end here, tell us just a, a little bit about your call into the ministry. So I've been um, ordained 18 years and I had spent 10 years out of the church because of the hypocrisy of organized religion. So when I was called, I, <laughs> God oh, has irony. an incredible sense of humor. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, and, and every now and then, you know, that I'll look up and I'll say, God, I, I still don't like the hypocrisy of organized religion. It's still a problem for me. <laughs> so we have a good laugh and then I get back to work again. But the, um, so I was, um, it was after my, my first divorce, very shortly, like just three months after my first divorce. And I was driving to church with my little um, uh, two-year-old in the back seat and I was listening to NPR and there was a story about Kosovo and the ethnic cleansing and that people, you know, were the militia were pulling people out of their houses and taking the men one way and the women and children the other way. They were taking over their houses. And I went into church and I was just mad. I was like, I do not understand. My life has just imploded, but I'm not okay right now, but I know I will be okay. But these, like, that's never going to happen to me. Like the militia is never going to come in and take why is this world so unfair? Why? So in, in the Episcopal church, if you're raised as, as like back in the day, like I was, you come in, you kneel down and you decompress, right? And you're like, okay, God, 
we've got that whole week or everything going on to, to handle, but right now I want to be centered in you. So you take that moment. So I just came in and I was, you know, mad as a little hornet. I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. And, and I heard very clearly your life is blessed. Use the blessing. And before me, I saw a road with a fork in it. One, the one to the right was to do what I've been doing, but with more intention, which, which was running a, a nature store called for the birds in Blacksburg. And then the one to the left was to do something that God was calling me to, but that I didn't know. And I just responded without thinking, my life is yours, use it as you will. So then the, the processional starts and da, 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 and the priest comes in and, and we had a supply priest for that day. And she came in and she turned around and she said, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I heard, that's what I want you to do. And I was like, whoa, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. And so um, I, oh, you really heard, you really like her. It was like, that oh yeah, obvious. it was, it was, oh yeah, no. Cause I, 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 I have to have God speak to me in a very obvious way. <laughs> That's just the nature of my relationship with God. But to have that clarity of God speaking so profoundly to me was, let's just say unusual and not expected. So I'm not, not known to me. So did you so, act to, on it quickly? Did you just get up and go out and plot a seminary? What did you do? Well, so I told God we'd talk about this later. As one does. <laughs> I'm busy. I got I, I'm worshiping. I got a two-year-old. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so I put my daughter to bed that night and went out to, to the porch swing and said, all right. Let, and I brought up my college days. And I said, I just need to remind you of some days that were less priestly than one might imagine. Brought them all up. And, and God said, remember who I called first. They didn't get it either. So that was another voice. And I was like, okay. And plus, I was like, you know, I don't even really believe in the Bible, God, because I'd only had it used as a weapon. And that was part of the hypocrisy of organized religion. I, Interesting. I had seen that in Southwestern Virginia, right? It oh, yeah. was bam, bam, bam. And I, and I was just had somehow when voices that weren't in the Episcopal church did that, I lost my own faith. I closed the door to the church that had never been that way, but I got off track and only came back because my daughter, I wanted to raise her in the faith because I wanted people who were in covenant to love her. Sure. So anyway, the next thing I did was call another Emory and Henry Grat, uh, Gretchen Carlson Hagee, right? I called yeah. her because she was raised in the Unitarian church. And I thought, well, she'll think this is crazy because she'll have the good sense to know I'm not supposed to do this. And so she listened and said, all right, all right. You know what? I think you need to listen to God. Okay. What I didn't know until years later was that she got off the phone in a complete panic. She looked in the phone book for a female priest to talk to. She called a female priest in Blacksburg and she said, my friend has just told me this. She's in trance. She's like in grief. I mean, her marriage has just ended and I don't know what to tell her. And I don't know what to advise her. And the priest on the other end of the phone said, well, you tell her to come talk to me. I am the one that determines if people, I'm the chair of the committee that determines whether people go to seminary or not. And so she was like, oh, but I didn't You're know that until a long time later. And so I went to meet with this person. I told her my story and she said, that's a call story. If I've ever heard one, I'm going to get you the paperwork. And from there on, I just, I spent even up through my first year of seminary, I kept expecting people to tell me, thank you. We're so glad you came out to go now back to your nature store to the lawn. And I was just like, okay, but, but instead um, finally, my, my lay committee in, in seminary looked at me and said, you're the only one who doesn't fully believe this call and it's time. 
it's just so hard to see yourself in that role. Same thing with, with where I am right now. You know, I, 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 people are feeding back to me how they see me and how they experience me. And I'm going, but I'm just me, you know? And, 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 and the other thing is I truly was a blank slate when I went to seminary and I, this is the other beautiful thing. So I only had the choice of one seminary there. Um, and, and that's up in, in Northern Virginia called Virginia Theological Seminary. And when I went for the prospective student day, I got out of the car and I looked around and I thought, well, this looks all familiar. Looks so much like Emory and Henry. And then uh-huh. I listened to all the faculty do a panel presentation and I could just name the faculty from Emory and Henry that people reminded me of. Oh, and I thought, sweet. I can do this. These are intelligent people who aren't going to tell me how to think, but they're going to teach me how to think. And I knew that from Emory. And I just was, and that comfort level and that resonance was what made me go, okay, I can, I can, I can show up. And again, same way I went into the bishop search process. My job is to show up and do the work and I'll keep doing it until somebody tells me to stop. They keep saying yes. So, okay. <laughs> I think you got to quit waiting for someone to tell you to stop. They just gave you the big fat go sign. I know. Yep. So we're going now. I, I, I'm done. I'm done with hesitancy. Like, no, I'm, I'm off and running. I'm, I'm thrilled. I could not be more thrilled. Well, and we couldn't be more thrilled that you would take the time. I mean, you just got appointed. You just got, this just happened Saturday and here it is Monday and you're willing to talk to your old alma mater. And we are so grateful. We're so, so grateful. honored. Thank you. Phyllis Spiegel, Emory Henry Class of 1988, Bishop elect of the Utah Diocese um, in the Episcopal Church. We're so proud of you and so excited and really these are beautiful things that you've shared with us i mean it's great that you've got this position but we really i really appreciate that you would take the time to share so personally about your call and your life and also what you think the church could and should be about and that's that's a sweet thing to hear so thank you thank you so much it's been a, an absolute pleasure well i want to thank everybody for listening this week to the duck pond wall and i hope you'll stay tuned to wehc the voice of southwest virginia mm-hmm.